Blog Talk Radio. That's my song, that's my song. Thank you, Diane. Come back home to Africa. Come back home 
more weekend shows. And so I'm trying to bring about balance. I'm trying to readjust. Um, and so I am here today to share with you this sacred space. And indeed, sacred space is critical for all that we do, all that we are, who we say we are, who we be, what we believe. It must, it must, it must exist in sacred space. Once you are no longer sacred, once your space is no longer sacred, once your body is no longer sacred, once your energy is no longer sacred to you, and you open the door for all manner of disrespect and violation. So the creation of sacred space is not just about, not just about ancestors, shrines, altars, ritual work, magic, but the ability, the awareness, the consciousness to be able to breathe and release sacred space wherever you might be at any specific moment in time space. It's real easy to do magic and to meditate and to be real high first spiritual in the quietness and the stillness of our solitude. (laughs) When there's no necessary weather, you know, but once we step out into the world, once we step out into the weather, It is indeed then that our ability to create. Greetings, beloved. Everyone, greetings. Um, I didn't expect so many people on Saturday. Who do a coughism? Ori. um, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. Ori. Free tag. Ori free tag. Greetings, beloved. Code is 216. Wendy Phillips. Kate. Greetings, the God of initiative. All is truly and indeed a blessing. Greetings to everyone, everyone present. Um, no, I don't have a dog. <laughs> you just tested the sensitivity of my mic. You hear a dog outside, outside on the sidewalk that lives next door. Now, she may have passed the house, and so therefore the sound of the dog might have traveled in between the house. Because we have fences here, no one can just get in between our, our houses. So yeah, you heard a big, big barking dog that lives right next door, and she just happened to be passing outside. So my camera is pretty sensitive. Uh, I had no idea how how sensitive um, it was. I was doing a reading here yesterday, and uh, the house was being worked on. You know, after the the hurricane season, and so the uh, ceramic tile on, on the roof is being repaired. The weatherboard on the side of this antique historic Treme house um, is being worked on and repaired. So I'm, I'm doing a reading, a consultation. We're in full Skype mode. You know, cameras on, and they could not only hear the work going on outside, but they could actually hear the details of the conversation that was going on outside. So it's real interesting um, how much we have allowed technology into our space, into our our world, um, and how we use it is critical, not only to 
tangerine bliss, the, the creation of, of sacred space. But um, personal space, sometimes we forget about just personal space. And we know, you know, you don't lean up on the strings at the grocery store. You don't, you know, walk up and grab someone you don't know, jury, you know, even if you like it. You know, we understand that. But I think in this virtual space, which is indeed more spiritual than physical, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you go to that Facebook stream, that Twitter stream, one or two posts, and you in your feelings, you in your emotions. <laughs> um, I don't think she would mind, but my mother's one of those people. She's sensitive to the politics of the day and sort of what's being said um, and, and expressed. Um, in that space, so the creation of sacred space, uh, tangerine bliss, uh, doesn't necessarily require shadow work in the moment, but absolutely it should be on your homework list. Absolutely it should be a part of your daily maintenance. Um, and, and I'm going to use the weekend to be a little bit more specific, a little bit more detailed, sometimes a little bit more personal. Um, and so you cannot create sacred space if you're overburdened with shadow work, if, if you got unhealed traumas. Some of you meditate or attempt to meditate, and you lie down or you sit Indian style or you sit in your lotus position and you breathe and you release. And you breathe and you release. And then your grocery list comes up. Then what you forgot to do for your child for, for their play the next day pops up. That impending bill pops up. And those are important. So we stop and we breathe and then we take notes. And, and, and the taking of the notes tells the left brain, I acknowledge the importance of these details, but right now it's not the moment. And you breathe and you go back, you go back into your, into your center, in your, in your sacred space. But then once you get all of that stuff out of the way, then it gets personal. And that's why your meditation should be guided or directed. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're either working in tandem with, you know, an advisor um, you know, or a tape or recording that tells you when to breathe, that tells you what to visualize, that tells you what to let go, you know, in the process. And I may create that one day. I've been told I need to create some apps. <laughs> but also, you can decide, Tangerine, or anyone who's listening, to address the trauma, address the shadow work. So I separate that from just the creation of sacred space. You, you want to be prepared when you go into doing shadow work to just address shadow work. You can't do prosperity work, love and relationship work, you know, health and wellness perhaps, and, and shadow work at the same time because you need to be free enough, free enough, objective enough to be able to be quiet and to be still in that moment. And allow those visions, those feelings, those memories to 
to come to the surface. Um, some of you know I'm working on, on a book right now, um, a, per, a personal autobiographical book. And um, one of the exercises that I do is um, I'm, I'm instructed to pick a date, pick a time, pick a season, and then remember. And then remember. So do you remember your first day of school? Do you remember, you know, what's the first Christmas you remember? What's the first memory that you can recall right now, whatever your age is, as far back as you can go? Those are the type of mind and third eye and spiritual exercises that help you, that lead to directly confronting shadow work and healing trauma. But you must be willing to be objective. Because if you're full of anxiety and fear and trepidation, your own spirit guides will shut down those connections, those visions, that energy, as a means of sort of protecting ourselves. It's a spiritual denial. And so we forget. Uh, before I came on air, I was watching a uh, YouTube video. Uh, I like YouTube videos. Um, for all of their edifying and entertaining and, and historic uh, uh, nature, um, I was watching this video about a black woman born, raised, grew up in Germany. It's called Growing Up Black in Nazi Germany. Esther Anumu, A-N-U-M-U, Anumu Forham. Esther Anumu Forham, Growing Up Black in Nazi Germany by Frank Fitzgerald has almost a million views. You all really need to look at this video. She's a black woman who was born October 9th, 1925 in Hamburg, Germany. She came of age during the Nazi era. And in December of 1995, she had this conversation with Frank Fitzgerald and they produced uh, this hour and 15 minute long video. So I'm not going to go into the video, but I'm going to talk about my emotional responses to it in terms of dealing with shadow work. And so I'm looking at her objectively, without judgment, in in the third person, because I I want to be able to hear what she's saying and feel what she's saying, but also be able to observe my feelings and my responses to what she's saying at the same time. And so I hear her demonstrating what I just spoke of, sort of this spiritual denial. And the, 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 the producer, Frank, who's doing the video, obviously a, a, a white or European guy, um, kept pressing her on race, kept pressing her to share her experience on racism. And she was detached from that. She, she was com- almost completely detached from that. Even as he walked her into, okay, when did the Nazis show up? What did you know about what was happening? How did you feel about what was happening? You know, when did they come show up at your school? You know, he, he tried to take her to specific moments in time. And as you watch the film, she was either disconnected, in denial, or was just really, you know, too young and, and didn't know. Uh, and there were times she said, you know, at the time I didn't care. I didn't have a connection to that. You know, I didn't understand the important, you know, and so I didn't remember certain things. But, but he per- the things that he personalized 
When did you first go to school? When did you first hear about the Nazis? When did you first realize you were different? When did you first realize that you had a spiritual gift? Those are the type of meditations and shadow work that lead to healing, confronting, addressing the trauma, and, 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 and removing them. I've been told that I don't share my story enough. <laughs> I've been told that if you all really understood my story, um, my voodoo would be more powerful to you. My, my presence here today would speak volumes. And so that's one of my own personal issues in terms of, of shadow work, um, telling my story, being more open and organic about my story, and particularly the dark stuff, um, in a way that's beneficial to you and not just uh, entertaining. Uh, Albany, Georgia. I, I don't recall. Who's the call this? And I, I don't recall. Bob, I was It doesn't ring a bell. Um, oh! Okay, the guys in this too. <laughs> All righty, because uh, you know my question, what page am I on in, uh, in the book? For my new listeners and my new viewers, um, I'm reading from the chat, if you already know. Uh, what's being referenced by the guys in this It is the magic of Marie Laveau. Embracing, embracing the spiritual legacy of the Buddha Queen of New Orleans. Magic of Marie Laveau. Embracing the Spiritual Legacy of the Voodoo Queen of New Orleans by Denise Alvarado. And I haven't been very specific about the book. Um, I've just announced it. I've introduced it. I've shared some links from time to time over over the last few months. Uh, I've never said that I was in the book directly, which I am, but, but I've never said it directly. But anytime someone said, oh, I read that book, I love that book, I, you know, I consumed that book, my sort of Virgo, Labor Day Virgo, double-numbered responses are always just a little bit shady and, and something is hidden within them. And so I always ask, what page am I on in the book? And up until the last week or so, uh, Neophyte Bocor and, and a few other people, you know, have begun to be more specific about uh, where they found me in the book. And, and I think that's important. The whole book is important, which is why I haven't gone a whole great detail into the book. I, I want you all to be curious enough, to be interested enough to purchase the book, to read the book uh, for yourself. And then we can have a discussion about what's in the book here in this space. Um, you know, with people who have a better understanding of, of what we're talking about and where I'm coming from. My footprint in her book has everything to do with who I am and what I do and what I represent and what my track record is, what my re- receipts speak to here in the city of, of New Orleans um, and in the world. And before I give it away totally, uh, <laughs> It is about revolution, revolutionary voodoo, New Orleans voodoo secrets and recipes. And so that encompasses politics, nationism, racism, 
but, but it also encompasses wellness, prosperity, health, empowerment, protection. How does a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old on the street with no job, no income, no family, no support survive? How do they survive? And, and how does that happen? How does that happen? I beg you, don't let it be you. Don't let it be the next generation. Don't cast out your child over race, over gender, over culture, over belief into the the darkness, the savagery of this world. I'm supposed to be a statistic. I'm supposed to be a statistic. Some of you would have me to be (laughs) a statistic. Right now, today, some of you would have me to be a statistic. Some of you say, I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be allowed. I shouldn't be able. I I should be blocked here. I should be blocked there. I should be limited. And and, and still over race, culture, class, shadism, gender bias, prejudices. And many of the prejudices that we see being fostered and fed and fueled right now at, at the governmental level in our country. And that's important without falling into a political conversation. That is important because it has established and has set up sort of a boundary in terms of respect, in terms of morality, in terms of value. And, and more often than not, we're at the, the, the end of the line. We're at the bottom of the totem pole. Society rests on the shoulders of black people, and particularly black women. So don't get so disconnected that that's them over there thinking that it doesn't come back to you. I found this sister story uh, growing up black in, in Germany and Nazi Germany. Very interesting in terms of how she self-identified race ethnicity, and her experience. And it shifted, as to be expected, from season to season based on her age or what was actually happening uh, within the country, within the uh, confines of her environment during Nazi Germany. But you could hear her hedging. You could see her hedging about race even about her own blackness, um, you could hear her voice change mm-hmm. a little bit when she talks about um, race and how that showed up in the Nazi Germany environment. Uh, it was, it's a very interesting video. I'm, I'm about to put it in the chat so you can go and view it um, for yourself in, in your own time. Uh, it was a very interesting. She ultimately ended up as a teacher, as an educator, I believe in New York, the state of New York. So she, she has an experience now <laughs> about the middle passage, about white supremacy and enslavement in America from our perspective. Um, and, and again, you could hear sort of, you know, in fact, I believe she said she didn't quite understand, you know, black and white and, and, and the depth of, of hatred that many black people that she was encountering in America had towards 
white people in, in, the, in the pervading culture. And she suggested that that changed as she gained knowledge, as she gained awareness, as she gained um, education. I swear that dog sound like it's in my yard. And I might need to go check. Um, yeah, now, Wendy, you know, if your mind is running wild while you meditate, uh, again, that can be a direct result of, of unresolved shadow work. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that it has to be negative. All shadow work is not always about the negative. Sometimes in the trauma, you forget what's good. You forget what's positive. You forget what gift, what skill, what emotion you might have brought to a moment if the, if the trauma overpowers that. But finding a way to steal the mind, focus on a, on a thing, focus on a goal, uh, focus on traveling out into space and, and, and having that experience. Um, focus on something a, a little bit more specific, and then you'll find that the, the wild thoughts will either uh, recede or will become more specific about the messages that you might be receiving, about the lessons you might be viewing, um, just their sequence might not, and I'm being very literal about, you know, what you type, your, 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 your mind running wild, because um, you're not that specific, so I, I get it. But, um, yeah, you want to focus on something. You want to focus on, on something a little bit more specific in order to sort of achieve the results in meditation and, and definitely transcendental meditation that we seek when we go into uh, the meditative state. In fact, you know, books, instructions, that's the best place, in my opinion, to go. Transcendental meditation. It's actually a book that was published back in the 70s. So when you try and Google it or search it, you're going to have a whole bunch of other imposters show up on that subject matter, either because they want to, you know, teach you transcendental meditation, you know, get you to buy something. Um, so scan past all of that. Uh, somewhere there's a $3 book from the 1970s about transcendental meditation. I'm sure it's online somewhere. I actually have a physical copy. I'm sure it's online somewhere. And, um, that's a great place to you learn to focus on your breathing, learn to center on specific chakras in your body, learning how to move energy through your body. We hear the chakras described more often as, as a wheel or spinning wheel, and, and, and there should be some clarity in, in that movement and that motion. And so chakras can thus be blocked or, or reversed or, or, or not working in our best interest. And so those are all sort of the, the more practical uh, components of, of meditation that the instruction of transcendental meditation brings. But, but once you grow past, you know, knowing how to breathe, circular breathing, um, paying attention to your breathing and your heart, and, and can feel the wandering wild thoughts, um, that's when the real meditation begins. And you can speak experience it. I've done meditation to use my health from the 
inside my body. I've done meditation to observe Earth and dissipate from reality, but from heaven, it's, or from outer space. I'm actually seeing heaven. I'm seeing heaven and I'm seeing hell um, by way of transcendental meditation. And of course, your quartz crystals, the natural uncut, unpolished quartz crystals can really amplify your ability to not only open up these channels in your own time, but to be aware in the moment and to then bring that information back. And so you see crystals like purpura diamonds. Um, purpura diamonds come from very specific places in the earth. Uh, they tend to be multi-faceted, multi-terminated, which is why they're called diamonds. Um, very clear for the most part. They might have carbon inclusion, um, water sometimes within them. Uh, but it's a great uncut, unpolished, untampered with uh, stone to use in your meditative spaces to not only open those frequencies, but to then be able to retain the needed and necessary information and then to bring uh, that back into into your reality, into our waking state of awareness. Greetings, uh, Nina Lloyd. Greetings to anyone that I might have missed in the process. Chef Bougie, yes. Um, did you watch it? Okay, I'm, I'm glad. It, it's a really interesting. Um, I had mixed emotions watching that, that video, uh, and I had to keep reminding myself, this is a black woman born in Nazi Germany um, who does not have our experience, uh, our awareness. And I think sometimes we forget that when we think about Pan-Africanism, when we think about globalism, um, when we think about indigenous cultures and communities, and so we sort of artificially think up communities that might not necessarily have that connection in, in, in the real world, you know, or on the ground. So I'm always curious by black people and people of color um, from other places in the world, and, and I ask them, what is their awareness um, of our experience? Now, it is a two-way street. Um, I've got a lot of UK friends in Twitter, um, Germanic and, and French friends uh, of all ethnicities um, in, in Twitter. And so it has forced me to sort of expand my comfort zone. So I'm much more aware about Brexit than I ever thought I would be. I'm much more aware about, you know, uh, police brutality in, in, in Nigeria and, and things that happen on the street. Uh, than I ever thought I I would be. And so we've got to be, going back to that healing, the the shadow work and and the trauma, uh, we've got to be healed enough to be able to create sacred space beyond just our comfort zone, beyond just what's happening here. Um, I've also watched um, Chef Bougie uh, in most recent days, a video. Uh, There's a brother his name escapes uh, Uhuru, searching for Uhuru, who travels back and forth to West Africa and particularly uh, what we might call the, the, the voodoo regions of West Africa. I think that was his first um, sort of footprint in, in YouTube in particular. His videos were primarily... Um, about 
uh, Voodoo, about Dagbo, Honan, um, in, in Benin. Yes, search for Yohuru. And so um, I'm not sure where in the order of his videos it is, but somehow I ended up watching a video about um, expats who are now living in, in Ghana. And as I scroll his videos, yeah, he's expanded. He's talking about many things right now. Oh, wow, he even had the coronavirus uh, eight months ago. Uh, but anyway, um, it was about some eight expats who had left America and were now living in, not Ghana, um, Sierra, Sierra Leone. They were residing in Sierra Leone. So I, I don't see the video right now. I don't want to make that a distraction. But, um, yeah, and so it, it, too, was interesting in terms of how we self-identify here and then how we look at the greater ATR community uh, in terms of co-relationship. We hear, you know, I'm going to Cuba, I'm going to Haiti, I'm going, you know, to initiate or, or have some ceremonies done and come right back. But we don't really hear or see often enough the demonstration of the community sort of pulling together, working together. So his video stood out to me, um, these expats. One in particular, I believe he said he had been, been there uh, nine years now. Um, and so, um, are y'all watching my video view in history of something? How is y'all seeing all the videos that I'm watching? <laughs> yeah, um, Eva, Arisha, greetings, beloved Arisha. Yeah, so it was very interesting. I also had mixed feelings about that um, because not all of us are ever going to afford to want to go to Africa. All of us are not necessarily going to want to go to Africa. And it is a question that I confronted when I was much younger, uh, in my 20s, um, about traveling uh, and, and making that sort of leap. And I just couldn't, you know, ignore or overlook what exists right here in, in this new Africa. Um, I, I didn't want the feeling that I was sort of leaving my community, leaving the problem behind and moving somewhere that was going to, you know, romantically and magically sort of alter and change things. So their video speaks directly to that. Um, how many people do make that, that journey and, and, and go to Sierra Leone or other countries and find that it's not for them, find that they cannot um, make the adjustment? I, I know why I'm mixing up videos, because I saw another video, a couple, husband and wife, who had also expatriated uh, from the U.S. to Ghana, and they were talking about the 10 particular that they didn't like about Ghana. Okay, y'all, I got it now. Okay, the first video is called Building in Sierra Leone. And what caught my eye was, <laughs> was the title of this video and how he worded it. So the title of the video is Building in Sierra Leone, Only the Best Need to Come to Africa. Only the best need to come to Africa. And then he goes on talking about dealing with Hayden. Uh, and the brother who's there is called Four Day, I believe. 
I'm going to put that link. Um, okay, the, the link I just put in, that's the black woman born in Nazi Germany. Uh, this video is the expats who are now living in Sierra Leone. And while I agree with the title, let me be clear, while I agree with the idea, with the notion that Africa is only desiring of the best to come, um, but it also leaves open a whole nother arena of conversation about those of us who don't travel, who won't be moving to Ghana, who won't be going to Haiti, and how we can repatriate. We talked about this at the top of the show. Mentally, emotionally, spiritually, right here. Because ultimately the goal for many of us is to escape the system, escape the oppression, to live a different reality. And a different reality doesn't necessarily mean that the grass is greener. Doesn't mean that they, you know, don't have trauma and drama and, and things that they have to confront. And, and that's why I like the second video, 10 Things We Hate About Ghana. <laughs> 10 Things We Hate About Ghana. Negatives of living in Ghana. And again, this is a husband and wife team um, who obviously love Ghana, but that doesn't mean that there aren't a few things that irritate and annoy them. And one of the things that they talk about um, is the speed or lack thereof of getting um, many things done there. And so when we think about leaving the country and going to Africa, going to another world, there's a romantic edge to that. But I don't always think we look through and examine. Um, yeah, the God's initiative helped me any kind of way that you would like to love it. I appreciate Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. And today, by the way, is Red, White, and Black Day. Some of y'all understand that code. Today is a Red, White, and Black Day. Osage, go. Tell your feelings. Yeah, so that's very helpful. Um, so, yeah, looking at, you know, people who have made that journey, who have gone. Uh, I've had many relationships over the years with people who indeed have gone to Haiti and Cuba and Panama and Nigeria and Ghana and, and have, have had their experience um, and, and returned. So the expat video, uh, both of them really uh, speak to both the pros and the cons of making that sort of adjustment in your life. So when we think about just being happy, being healthy, uh, what, what it takes to just survive uh, in America, it, it opens up a much bigger conversation about shadow about healing trauma, about how you really believe the truth of your creation of reality. I said something short, I create and recreate my reality. I, I choose to be happy or not. I choose to be satisfied or not. I, I choose to be at peace or not, no matter what the weather, no matter what's going on. So, you know, I, I don't necessarily think, you know, escaping to, running from, ever 
the answer, uh, figuratively or, or literally. But it most certainly um, opens up room for, for a greater uh, conversation. Greetings, Craig Burns. I might be a little bit behind on my chat. Uh, rebirth of, of Kia. Greetings, beloved. My mom is here. Welcome, beloved. How you doing? Yes, I appreciate you um, all for being here on a Saturday in the middle of your day. Um, God's Initiative says she loves expat videos. She'd like to live somewhere else. Uh, she's going to have to divorce her husband, though. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's not a little personal, but but okay. Um, you know, for me, some people would tell you that New Orleans is like living in a third world country. Uh, and, and there are days that that's very evident, and there are other days that that's just something that we say. Um, some people, you know, accuse New Orleans of being the northernmost Caribbean city. New Orleans has been accused of being the most African city in America. And so these might be some of the reasons why I'm here. Um, culture, tradition, and that connection to what came before, even if colonial connection. Because when I look, you know, the French Quarter and, and, and the Germanic and, and Italian and, and Creole and, and all the representations that show up in, in our beautiful architecture, historic architecture, people come from all over the world uh, just for the buildings, just for, for the historic architecture. And many of our older cities, Philly, New York, D.C., Baltimore, Annapolis, you know, often what's old gets torn down. Are you hard-pressed to find anything old in California, in, in Los Angeles? Now, anything older than 10 years, 20 years, is torn down, it's rebuilt, um, it's done anew. And, and I, I get it. You know, you all have to worry about earthquake proofing and, and new technology. Uh, but for decades, um, perhaps centuries, uh, we didn't have sort of that flexibility. The laws here protect history first, sometimes overall things. Um, I believe that shifted just a little bit uh, after Hurricane Katrina, and it sort of opened up uh, with all the abandoned and, and dilapidated and, and unkept properties. It sort of opened up um, an opportunity for people both local as well as from other places sort of come in and, and buy into and, and sort of redo to some degree, you know, that culture. Uh, but it still exists, and it exists in, in the food and, and in the second line and, and in the uh, uh, Congo Square, you know, and, and in how we acknowledge spirit here. Um, so, you know, I, I would love to be in Benin in January. Of course, we, you know, COVID-19, <laughs> so, so maybe January 22, uh, but I would love to be in, in Benin, but um, I, I'm just, I'm okay being black here in America. I'm okay healing and, and doing the shadow work and addressing the trauma that exists here. If we can indeed get to a place where we can have a co-relationship with our brothers and sisters and cousins and, and whatnot in, in other countries and other continents, that's great. And that's something that we indeed have to work 
for. The kids working and planning and building and and, and developing years of trust and, and, and all this uh, sort of thing. The, the brother uh, in Ivory, no, not Ivory Coast, in uh, Sierra Leone, states in the video that he had built relationships with West Africans many years before he actually made that trip. But he knew that once he made the trip, he would not be coming back. He, he was that committed, you know, to the experience. And so at, at this point, I believe it's eight years, nine years that he's been been there. Um, but, but I'm just as committed to, you know, the many Africans and, and Haitians and Cubans and whatnot who come here to America um, to indeed hear our story, to understand a little bit better the black anger, uh, the, the, the black attitude uh, specific to us here in, in America. Uh, when we do look at it from a globalized perspective, how slavery slavery was brutal and wicked and evil wherever it was. Uh, but there's a unique system that took place here in, in, in the U.S., which still plagues us uh, t- till this day. And, and until that system is, is undone and, and replaced, uh, we'll still be doing shadow work, uh, unfortunately, for some generation uh, to come, and particularly when we look at the shenanigans that are taking place right now. Um, all he's done is reveal deeper level shenanigans that would otherwise be hidden, that would otherwise go uh, unnoticed. So I personally have taken note of the list of, of Republicans. <laughs> I personally have taken note um, of those who have spied and agreed and have went along uh, and not just with the foolishness, but not denouncing sexism, not denouncing white supremacy, not denouncing racism, and, and, and actively moving uh, to adjust that. Those are the things that keep me in America. Those are the things that sort of uh, get in the way of, of any desire I might have to travel abroad and to see other you know, arenas of the world. We live in a sort of a delusional state as Americans. You know, we, we have the best country and we have the best resources and we have the best this, that, and other. Okay, great. But we, we can't then deny, you know, all the ugliness that exists just beneath. We can't deny the cancers that, that still um, exist within us among us and around us. So um, I would love to see Nigeria. I get an invite to Nigeria. I get an invite to Ghana every week, you know, and, and ancestors willing, green Shamafia, ancestors willing, I indeed will make that, that trip. I indeed will make that journey. But it won't be because I'm abandoning you. It won't be because, you know, there ain't enough to do here. Um, and, and it certainly won't be um, based in just business. I, I think that, again, that idea that Africa only wants your best also has something to do with capitalism and, and, the, and the deep state of impoverishment that exists um, all over the world, but, but yes, in Africa as well. And so there's this sense that, you know, you're going and you're coming to build a well 
to bring self service, to bring education, to bring something, you know, to sort of empower uh, those communities. And, and I agree with that. But I also agree that we need that here, right here in America. Again, I ask you, how does a 14, 15, 16 year old end up on the street with no family, no support, no income? No empathy, no sympathy, no concern. And it has a lot to do with why I don't trust you today. <laughs> I don't trust you today. You know, um, you left me hanging, you know, when I needed you the most. You know, as a people, as a community, you've left me hanging. Uh, the irony of that is my blackness. The irony of that is my Afrocentricity. The irony of that is my commitment, to, you know, to this culture in this practice, in this tradition, both locally and globally, that don't feed me, that don't support me. I have a small community, godchildren, initiates, those who are operating and actively participating in this tradition, who care whether I'm cold in, in the winter or hot in the summer. Got a godchild, I don't want to call him out, what, right here in this room, who cares? If I got something to eat or not, who cares if my humanity is being acknowledged beyond just my booty? I appreciate PBS or whoever created that gift in Twitter. Uh, they, they respect the booty before they acknowledge my humanity. And so, you know, how does a kid end up on the street? Nowhere to go. People are aware, the system is aware, the church is aware, there's a problem, there's a specific problem in the family, there's a specific problem in the household, and how does that not go address? For many, you know, the alternative is street, is drugs, criminality, it's inadvertently getting caught up in, in the judicial system, inadvertently, ultimately hurting themselves and someone else. And so I, I'd say respect the booty. Respect the booty. How? The, it was the booty. How did you not end up a statistic? It was the booty. How did you survive all of that? It was the booty. Respect the booty. And my ability to call on my ancestors and God in those moments where I, when I couldn't call you, <laughs> when you all were not available to me, you know, and listen, I'm not talking about my mom or my daddy, my family. I'm talking about you, black community, you, ATR community, those who, you know, black power and black lives matter, and, and, and you holding it strong in social media. You holding it strong in Twitter and, and Instagram, in, in your photo and in your video. But what are you holding down in reality on the street? Who's looking after the kids right now on the street? Who's looking after the elderly right now on the street, in, in, in your block, in your neighborhood? We don't have to go to Jamaica, to Haiti, to Cuba, to Brazil, to the small you know, communities of the world to find something to do. There's plenty that needs to be done right here. Uh, Wendy... Um, Pillis is asking, what are my thoughts on forgiveness? Should you forgive someone who hexed you or do a reversal? Um, it depends on what it is. 
It depends on what it is and what it's really about. Now, don't take this personally, Wendy. I'm just talking. Now, we didn't talk about some foolishness. That's just some foolishness. I've been there, done that. Been there, done that. Had a neighbor, pre-Katrina, white neighbor. And she and I and her husband were friendly. And we share a smoke or two every now and then. And I can't even remember what or why. Um, But she found a dead bird in the neighborhood and put it on my porch. And so the battle was on. (laughs) So the hexing thing was on. And and ultimately, you know, her bird, her caged bird died. Her dog died. And she apologized. And and we both apologized. And we both said we weren't going to, you know, do that. and, And we stopped. You know, uh, but that's, you know, at my age now, that, that's, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. And, and hexing back and forth, you know, in your workplace or uh, with the other man or the other woman, you know, uh, that's foolishness. And so we, you know, we grow over it, beyond it, past it. Uh, I don't think forgiveness necessarily uh, comes in unless it indeed it is personal. Agreed. Now we're talking about something different. You know, that need for forgiveness. And I think, you know, a healthy person, maybe not the narcissist, uh, but a healthy person kind of understands when they've crossed that boundary, you know, and, and forgiveness is called for, and then we sort of, you know, step into that. But you have to be willing to create the space, the sacred space, uh, for the forgiveness to happen. So you have to look at yourself, your involvement. Again, what what is it that we're talking about? What is this heck battle really about? And then pull yourself out of it. Um, She says she's doing good, but a group of people hexed her and her children two years ago. But we're doing excellent now. Okay, well, give thanks, beloved. All is a blessing. How can one receive an acceptance to become an initiate of the house? Oh, beloved, um, that's a great question. Um, first, I want to say I'm not easy to work with. I'm not easy to work with, okay? And it's not because... And, and I have got children in the room who do cultism. Uh, a few others can tell you it's not, it's not because I'm any different off air than, than what you see here. Um, in fact, it might be because I'm not any different off air than, than what you see here. Um, so some of those, you know, I, I have Asperger's syndrome. You've heard me describe a little bit about my past and, and being on the street at 14, 15. 16. So my social skills aren't the best. And, and what I mean by that is, indeed, I've been able to get talk my way into circumstances, housing, employment, all sorts of things over the years. But um, I speak in a very direct and very specific kind of way. Um, I don't deviate a whole lot off the track. I think sometimes people are speaking conversation about food to be entertained about voodoo, to sort of explore their own ideas and notions and fantasies about voodoo. 
But when we start talking about initiation, there's very specific rules, protocols, and very specific ways of doing things. So send me an email, divineprince at House of the Divine Prince. Be prepared to schedule the, the appropriate reading for initiating. Um, and then be prepared to learn something new, to, to open your awareness to, to a completely uh, different experience. And, and again, I think being that kid on the street sort of forced me to make that adjustment in a way that for the already established adult uh, might come as a little bit more, you know, of a challenge. I was already dealing with the unknown. I was already living in an existence where I didn't know what the next moment was going to bring, what the next minute was going to bring. And, and I was able to not only absorb the tradition during that time, but to be sensitive psychically and spiritually to what was going on around me as I developed proper application for Wendy, the Hexen, proper application for uh, performing, you know, ritual work. So, you know, it's not hard, uh, rebirth of Kai. Uh, it's just challenging. It'll be like going to university. Uh, it'll be like going to college. The degree of bookwork and material and information um, that I'll share, that, that I will gift with you, while also teaching and instructing, you know, on the, on the application. I, I think when people look at, you know, witchcraft, Wiccan, New Age, astrology, psychic reading, you know, there's a, especially in the West, there's a great deal of me, myself, and I um, meeting my needs, fulfilling myself. And I think we forget that when we look at ATR, pulling from indigenous, traditional African-based religious systems, um, it's about the village. It's about communal energy. And so Ashe is not possessed. It's not owned. You know, it's not controlled, but it's shared. And it's increased through the sharing. It grows through the the sharing. Uh, It's not something that we sort of access for ourselves only and then sort of keep it hidden and, and, and tucked away. So, you know, we're trying to reprogram a Western mindset now to absorb something indigenous. Greetings, um, Kayla S. from the Colorado. You know, I lived in Denver uh, for three years, maybe four years I lived in Denver, Colorado. Beautiful place. Um, love the bike trails <laughs> that, that begin or end in downtown Denver and then go up towards the mountains. A beautiful, beautiful, um, one of the most racist places I ever lived. <laughs> but Colorado was very beautiful. Uh, the connection to the land and to the water and to the mountains uh, and, and being able to experience nature uh, from that uh, perspective uh, was uniquely beautiful in, in Denver. Greetings, uh, fitness girl. How you doing? All is truly and indeed a blessing, beloved. Thank you so much for liking, for subscribing. Um, I appreciate that. Uh, I do. 
Thank you so much. All is a blessing. Uh, my phone lines are also open at area code 845-277-9143. 845-277-9143. I had not planned to be here very long today. I didn't realize there would be such an interest in, in Saturday's show. But I'm certainly grateful and appreciative for all of your energy, for all of your support, for all of your being, and indeed for, for your presence. Uh, okay, yeah, that's, um, yeah, that might be something else. If it didn't work, if it wasn't justified, that's something you've got to grow beyond. That, that you get forgiveness. You read your word. Forgiveness would be the appropriate application. I also have appointments today on this beautiful Saturday, December 12, 2020. So I appreciate you all coming in, having a little coffee with me, and sharing a moment with me. But if no one has a question or comment on the club, I'm going to begin the show. It's been a lovely hour. I look forward to connecting with you again next time here and we share Thank you, Blog Talk Radio. All is a blessing. Congo Square. The Omus Indians, the Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. A sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. The Omus Indians prepared this place for us centuries before our arrival. Congo Square, a sacred spot where corn festivals were celebrated. And as the colonizers came, our host, the Omus Indians, they pushed aside our host. The colonizers came and pushed aside our host and introduced us in chains. And by the late 1700s, we somehow, recognizing the sacredness of Le Place de Congo, we somehow, and the how of our somehow persuasive methodologies is not clear at this moment. The how is not clear. How our persuasive methodologies worked is not clear at this moment. But nevertheless, even as slaves, we crafted and created a space where we could be free to be we. And thusly, thusly we countered the sacrilegiousness of the French, giving great homage to our ancestors as well as giving praise and thanks to our red-blooded brothers and sisters. 
This is an oral libation toast to Congo Square, to Native Americans, to our ancestors who made a circle out of a square and gave us a way to stay ourselves, save ourselves from the transformatory ugliness of America, which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life which refuses to recognize the spirituality of life and celebrates death with crosses and crosses, double and triple crosses, the middle passage, the first cross, Christianity, the double cross, and capitalism, the ultimate triple coup de grace cross of our captivity. But the terror of crosses notwithstanding, we sang. We beat, we be, we was and is. Hail Congo Square. Congo, Congo Square. Our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated inside the beat of us. Inside the beat of us, our African gods have not been obliterated. They have merely retreated, retreated inside the beat of us until we are ready to release them into a world that we recreate, a world harrowed by the beat, be, beat, being, beating, being of black heart drums, heart beat, heart beat, heart be at this place, at this place, be heart, be, be, we beating place in new world space, beating, being in place in new world, preserving our ancient pace, our dance is the God walk, our music the God talk. First thing we do, let's get together circle ourselves into community. No beginning, no end, connected together and singing, ringing, singing in a ring. Second, let's be original, aboriginal. Be what we were before we became what we are. Be Bambula dance, be Banza music, and sing song words which have no English translation. Third, let us remember. Let us remember never to forget, even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. Let us remember never to forget. Even when we can't remember the specifics, we must retain the essentials. The bounce, the blood, flow, the feel, the spirit, grow, energy. Must retain and pass on the essential us-ness that others want to dissipate, whip out Hello. of us. But no matter, no matter how much of us they prohibit, no matter how much of us they prohibit, 
Deep inside us is us. Deep inside us is us. Remains us inside and needs only the beat to set us free. The beat to free us. It is morning. A sun day. A feel. A feel. Without shade. But dark. Dark with the people black of us in various, various, various shades. Eclipsing the sun with our elegance. We are centuries later now. And still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat, to be. We are centuries later now. And still this sacred ground calls us to remember, to beat. Remember. Remember. 